This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing lesson number one, don't pay for lessons. TD Ameritrade's education is free. Choose from articles, videos, webcasts, and more. Everything you need to take your trading to the next level. Visit tdameritrade.com education. Member SIPC. Today is Thursday, March 28th, and we're discussing the steel industry. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool contributor Jason Hall via Skype. How you doing, Jason? Go Braves. I'm hey. just going to start with that. Hey, it's opening day. Baseball is in the air. Spring is coming. Shorts weather is around the corner. It's exciting. Hey, Masters weekend is going to be here before we know it. So really excited to see uh, the start of baseball season. What do you think about the Braves' chances this season, Jason? So I have to say, so I'm gonna just I'm gonna just give a shout out to my good friend and uh, former Fool colleague John Eric Kozlowski, who's a big Phillies fan. The Braves are starting off the season in Philadelphia, and we might have a wager over some adult beverages over the outcome of this first season uh, series. Honestly, I don't feel super confident. The Braves are starting a guy that nobody expected would even be that with the team as their opening day starter, and then they've got two rookies starting over the weekend. So, eh, yeah, yep. yeah. So we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Let's talk about steel. I'm a little more <laughs> comfortable talking about steel to start the uh, to start the baseball season off. Yeah, long season, 162 games. You know, it's the first series. We'll see how it plays out, but de- definitely exciting. Jason, you mentioned we're going to be talking about steel today. Uh, looking back at the last year at steel tariffs, talking about one of our favorite investments uh, that happens to be in the steel industry. Uh, but first, Jason, we just can't seem to get away from airline news. Last time you were on the show, Boeing had just been forced to ground its 737 MAX plane worldwide. And today we have another set of planes being grounded that has caused a lot of stress uh, to travelers worldwide. Jason, can you tell us about this latest piece of news and you know what it means? Yeah, I was having my morning coffee and just perusing the headlines and, and saw that Wow Air, it's a small privately held um, airline uh, based out of Iceland. Uh, it's a really unique kind of a uh, low-cost budget operator. They fly transatlantic flights and they, they, they go through, uh, through Iceland to Europe and back into the U.S. and that sort of thing. I actually flew on Wow Air a few years ago. They just ceased operations. And, and when I say ceased operations, I don't mean they said, hey, we're not going to start, we're going to stop flying in a week. You know, if you bought a ticket after that, we're going to give your money back. No, people are at the, at the airport and there's not a plane for them to get on. So, you know, like a thousand, over a thousand passengers stranded and people just stuck. So it's ugly. It's really ugly. Yeah. Crazy news uh, from, from just reading, you know, a little bit in the articles, it looks like the company had been trying to negotiate with bondholders to maintain mm-hmm. some liquidity, didn't work out, and they had to ground all their planes. You know, the CEO came out saying, hey, you know, <laughs> we, we wish we could have got this handled. Maybe we waited too long. It sounds like, you know, the, the company may, may be done for after today. So really feel bad for these passengers. And just it's been a rough month for the airline industry yep. all around. So uh, something to be mindful of and uh, something to keep watching going forward. Uh, Jason, for our main story today, we're going to talk about the steel industry. And off the top of the show, the first half of the show, I want to kind of do a look back over the past year and what's going on in steel. So March 8th, 2018, just a little bit over a year ago, uh, President Trump levied a 25% tariff on imported steel into the U.S. Uh, The goal of that tariff uh, was to bolster the domestic steel industry that had lost uh, 35% of its size over the past 20 years or so. Raised a lot of controversy. Trump's National Economic Council uh, chairman resigned. We had lots of uh, retaliatory actions from other countries. But Jason, 
as we look back on these tariffs a year later, what, if anything, can we say about their effectiveness and whether they've accomplished what President Trump set out to do when he put them in place? So I think the first thing to understand is the context of, of what the tariffs, from the perspective of the steel industry, what they were looking for versus how, the, how it was sold maybe to the, uh, the American public. Um, in general, you know, there was a, there was this idea that it would be hel- it would be good for, you know, steelmakers because they would hire a bunch of people and steelmakers pay, you know, they pay pretty pretty good wages, so it would create a bunch of jobs. And uh, the re- the reality is, it has been very good for for the steel industry for steelmakers. If you look at, uh, you know, your here's just a sampling of some of the biggest steelmakers like Nucor Corporation, Steel Dynamics, AK Steel, uh, U.S. Steel, pretty much across the board. They've all seen their gross margins increase sharply over the past year. Uh, they've generally seen free free cash flows improve. They've seen cash from operations get better. Um, so it certainly made the steel industry much healthier from a financial perspective. What it really hasn't done is create a lot of a lot of jobs, um, and that's kind of twofold. First of all, um, a lot a lot of you know, the, the more modern steel industry is a little more automated, doesn't require as much manual labor. Um, so for these steel makers, they've been able to increase production without necessarily having to add a tremendous amount of workers. Now, there's another part of it, too. Go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say, you know, so it's really been good for the steel industry in the U.S. As you mentioned, the U.S. saw its highest uh, capacity utilization rate uh, of its steel factories uh, since 2008, about 78 percent. Um, but what we have seen, Jason, and you mentioned this before the show, is there's, there was kind of a disconnect between uh, what folks might have thought would have happened and what the, maybe the steel companies were looking for. So we actually saw the trade deficit in steel balloon last year by over a billion dollars. Uh, we had fewer imports coming into the country, but but the exports that our, our producers lost on a dollar basis uh, lost right. out. However, uh, it was a huge decline in imports uh, from overseas, which is really what what the tariffs were designed to do. So, Jason, can you talk about that kind of disconnect, what the steelmakers were looking for versus what we got from a trade deficit point of view, and, and yeah, what that means? Absolutely, I think I think it's important to understand. So, so the premise of of the the tariffs, and we actually have to go back to under the Obama administration. The steel industry has been you know screaming for years and years that a tremendous amount of steel that was being imported into the United States was being illegally subsidized by countries like China. Uh, India, uh, Turkey, a few, a few others. So they were, they were, you know, they were creating an artificial price that made it very difficult for a lot of American steelmakers to compete against. So, and it's against, it's a violation of federal, of of international trade law too that they were doing this. So, that what the steel industry was simply looking to do was to drive this anti-competitive steel out of the market, out of the U.S. market. And cause prices to increase. So if you look at what's happened, that's exactly what's happened. So on a dollar basis, yeah, the 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 trade deficit maybe has it hasn't improved, but the U.S. steel industry wasn't looking to increase the amount of steel it was sending out of the United States. It simply wanted to keep a large amount of of imported steel out of the U.S. so that it could take back that market share that it was losing. And to a large extent, a lot of it was illegally subsidized. Now, the obviously the, the Trump administration passed much broader tariffs than than anyone expected, and a lot of those tariffs aren't necessarily against steel that a, a lot of people think is really truly being subsidized and is really anti-competitive. Um, so, on a dollar basis, yeah, the 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 the, the um, trade deficit 
didn't really improve. But if you look at a, on a volume basis, because steel prices have increased so much over the past year, there's a lot more domestic steel that's being consumed versus imported steel that's being consumed. And that's, that's where the big win for the U.S. steelmakers is. If you look at the, the capacity utilization, I think steelmakers used over 78% of their steelmaking capacity last year. That's the highest it's been in a decade since, since basically, you know, right at the peak before the global financial crisis and, and Great Recession happened a decade ago. Sure. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, the takeaway there is, uh, depending on depending on you know how you want to look at it, the tariffs have really accomplished their goal of getting foreign steel off the market, allowing some maybe breathing space uh, for some U.S. steel producers. And we'll talk on the second half of the show how that has led to some investments from U.S. steel producers. Uh, you know, related to that uh, from Nucor uh, specifically. So. Uh, in the near term, or in the past year or so, we've gotten all this supply off the market. Now, as we look, or, or as we start looking forward to maybe uh, these tariffs rolling off, or, or those sorts of things, can we take any signals from the past year as to where the industry is going to go forward, or do we just have to uh, uh, look at this past year, you know, as an outlier, just because of the, the effects that tariffs had on the market and those sorts of things? Yeah, I think I think you have to be really careful with any of these, you know, short-term, near-term predictions because. The, the reality with the steel industry is that it, it can be viciously cyclical, right? Uh, because these steelmakers tend to have very high fixed operating costs, kind of their floor, where they have to produce at least that amount of steel simply to cover their basic expenses. They can be very profitable above that, but if they slip a little bit below that, they can very quickly go from turning a modest or a really nice profit, they can quickly get turn, turn to losses you know, with, within a quarter. Um, or two quarters, and you, you kind of don't see it coming. So I think with that caveat, I think if you look at the, the, what, what you're hearing from U.S. Steel that's talking about revitalizing and reactivating a lot of you know, blast furnaces and different facilities that it's, it's idled over the past decade, you look at Nucor, these, all these greenfield investments they're making in building new steel mills you know, in Kentucky and in Florida, um, I mean, the industry is saying we're in growth mode because we have an opportunity now to build out these assets to, to meet higher demand for steel that we're going to make in the United States. So that's, that's a healthy signal, um, at least in terms of the long term, that, that the steelmakers say, well, we can make money in this environment if it persists. Sure. I mean, and, you know, we have the tariffs things that overhang, those could roll off and change the market. However, there's another wild card out there that we've kind of seen talked about for a couple of years that maybe it's gaining a little bit of traction. That's, you know, an infrastructure bill coming out of Congress. We had uh, Vice President Pence uh, just recently, you know, uh, say to U.S. governors that, you know, we're going to get that bill passed in the next year. Uh, you know, if that if that were to take place, you know, Trump campaign on a one point five trillion dollar infrastructure package, that would obviously be bullish for steel. Again, as you mentioned, Jason, really tough, uh, tough to track these cycles. There is currently a global oversupply of around six hundred million tons, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. So with that oversupply it makes it really difficult uh, to ride the cycle and we'll talk about this on the back half of the show. Because of that, what really differentiates these steelmakers is their ability in capital allocation, being able to maintain uh, their operations throughout the cycle and make prudent investments when the cycle is advantageous to them. Uh, you know, when you look at, at steelmakers, uh, how important to you is their capital allocation ability, and is that the number one thing you look at when you look at these businesses? So I think there's there's two things, and it's kind of a one A and one B when it comes to steel making. So capital allocation obviously is 
critically important because the business is very cyclical. And if a company leverages itself too much, making a, a, an acquisition or invests a su substantial amount of capital in a new plant, and it takes two or three years to build that new plant before it can get any return, um, I mean, th those are things that can really can really be problematic. Uh, U.S. Steel, for example, has just taken a beating because of some bad timing on some acquisitions that have really just they've they've financially handcuffed the company. But the other part of it is low-cost operations uh, and having operations that you can be as variable in your cost structure as possible. Uh, because again, because of the cyclical nature, if, if you have a cost a cost structure for your operations that maybe you're not as super profitable at the at the peak of of volume, but you have the ability to lower costs more quickly when demand weakens, that's a real durable competitive advantage uh, in the steel market. Because the companies that make for for good investments in steel are the ones that can at least tread water when the market goes to a downturn. Um, and, and have financial strength to, to make smart acquisitions when everybody else is weak. Exactly, Jason. And on the back half of the show, we're going to talk about a company that really has shown a track record of doing exactly that. But first, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. When it comes to investing education, one size doesn't fit all, because everyone is different. Whether you're just starting out or an elite investor, TD Ameritrade's education gives you what you need to learn on your own terms. Choose from articles, videos, webcasts, and in-person events. You'll even have access to education coaches. Everything you need to take your knowledge to the next level. Start today at tdameritrade.com education. Member SIPC. Okay, Jason, uh, on the second half of the show, we're going to talk about our favorite uh, steel investment, and really, you know, one, one of our favorite investments in the you know, industrial space, and that's Nucor. So, Jason, before we dive too deep into Nucor, you mentioned just a second ago how important capital allocation is and how and how important low cost production is for a business. What does Nucor have that really checks those boxes for you and makes you makes it stand out as a steel investment? Folks should really be paying attention to. So, if you if you look at the company's history, uh, it's, Nucor is interesting. It's not like you know some of the other uh, big steel makers that have been around for a century and they still have foundries uh, that are based on the legacy you know way we've been making steel for you know you know, hundreds of years, um, it was, the company started off like in the nuclear business. So, and then when it they just started making this transition into steel, uh, the management made the decision to focus on buying recycled scrap and using electric arc mini mills uh, to take that scrap and reproduce new steel from it. Uh, the benefit of the, this mini mill strategy is a variable cost structure. Uh, you also have tend to require uh, less employees per ton of steel that you produce. So by starting with that foundation of the mini mills that give you that variable cost structure, uh, an ability to ramp up and ramp down production more quickly uh, than with a, a, a traditional foundry, Nucor is set up to be a real leader in riding out the ups and downs of the market. And they've, they've proven the ability to be able to do that. And how that's paid off is through the, the CEOs that have, that have been in charge of the company. Uh, John Ferriola is the current CEO. His predecessor was the CEO for, I think, a, a couple of decades. Ferriola has been at the company about 30 years. Uh, they're very steeped in, in understanding the industry really well. But the key is that starting with that operational structure, being able to take advantage of the swings and the cycle to allocate capital to fund great opportunities for growth. And when the cycle is weak, when the oil, in, excuse me, when the steel industry is down, 
there are a lot of opportunities to buy assets, sometimes at fire sale prices. When you have another steel uh, producer that's really struggling, the idea, the opportunity to buy those assets at, at low multiples for their cash flow generating capacity. And over the past decade, Nucor has spent, I don't know, eight or $9 billion. And a lot of that's in bolt-on uh, acquisitions of, of, of expanding their ca capacities into other kinds of steel that they don't necessarily do well, or they have a lot of, uh, of business in now. Uh, they've added to their ability to buy scrap. So it lowers their input costs. So all of these little bolt-on things through smart capital allocation have allowed it to continue to get build bigger and bigger while its competitors were still struggling just to just to make it through. And it's really, really paid off. Right. You, you know, you talk about Nucor. I mean, they have the best balance sheet in the sector. They also have, from a technological point of view, you mentioned these mini mills that, you know, you can you can really uh, adjust through the cycle. They require less less headcount. You compare that to a company like U.S. Steel that still uses traditional blast furnaces. They are not as nimble as the market uh, as the cycle changes. As well as they don't have as healthy of a balance sheet, which has prevented them. You know, we talked before the, before the show has prevented them from making the investments like Nucor has into these mini mills to maybe transition uh, uh, the, their production capacity into something that maybe is more flexible with the market. So. You know, Nucor has positioned themselves from a balance sheet point of view, from the assets they have from their mills, as well as you mentioned John Ferriola and their management, to really be in a position to to continue to have success in the steel market moving forward. And I want to talk about Jason specifically how Nucor lays out their capital allocation strategies. They put it out straight for you um, in the 10K, and they have kind of three, it's a three-legged stool they look at. They want to invest in the business for profitable long-term growth. They want to reward shareholders with dividends. And they want to repurchase shares when they are attractive in the market. So, going through these one by one, let's talk first about how they're investing their money. You mentioned over the past several years, they've invested many billions of dollars in acquisitions uh, to bring new businesses into, into Nucor. However, they have recently shifted that strategy to doing more greenfield investments themselves. Can you talk about uh, what's behind that transition in strategy for Nucor and what they're doing moving forward with those investments? Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, if you follow the steel industry over time, uh, Nucor's capital allocation strategy actually is an interesting barometer that you can use to kind of judge the health to a certain extent of the industry. Uh, when Nucor is buying other steelmakers or, or steelmaking assets, the industry is generally probably struggling a little bit because it's able to buy those assets for better multiples and get accretive returns. In other words, it can spend $500 million to buy this distributor today, and it will start adding to its cash flows pretty much as soon as it integrates into the business, right? So there's, there's a big benefit in terms of per share value for shareholders for acquisitions when you can buy them cheaply. Now, about a year ago, Nucor started changing that strategy and started announcing these new projects. It's building, uh, I think, a couple of facilities in Florida. Just announced, I think it was just yesterday, uh, one of its biggest single greenfield projects in a very long time, $1.35 billion to build a new mill in Kentucky. Um, it's going to take about three years to kick in. Now, here's the other, the other side of it. So, having shifted to these greenfield investments, these, these take a long time. The, the one that it just announced yesterday, I think it said it will begin operation in 2022. So you're talking about three plus years before this $1.35 billion it's going to spend is going to start generating you know, any returns. So that says right there that the price that it would have to pay to buy somebody else's steel facility, steel mill, is just, is just too high 
to even consider buying it, even getting the benefit of that accretive uh, potential return. So I think that's a really good indicator where we are right now. That this the steel industry is pretty healthy, and the multiples are high enough that that's why for the past year, Nucor says, you know, we're just going to build our own projects, so we'll get a better return. Sure, and and whenever uh, you know they first announced the, their intentions to to pursue this big one point three billion dollar investment in, in a new facility, you mentioned CEO John Ferriola. He said on a call uh, with analysts that, that part of the reason they're making this investment it, it has to do with some of the trade actions that have taken place. He said, you know, quote from the look at the trade actions that we've been so successful in bringing against violators in the plate steel market. So they're gonna make plate steel at this new factory in Kentucky. They have confidence that the trade remedies give us better long term protection. Protection. And we're confident that not only that the import uh, levels today that are down substantial are, are down substantially, they're confident that those uh, levels are con- going to continue to remain low in the future, allowing Nucor's new plant that they're they're bringing into production uh, to kind of fill that gap of where those imports have left. So it's a testament to we we have one of the best capital allocators in the steel industry saying, hey. These tariffs have worked. We expect them to continue to work, and we're allocating capital on reliance on those continuing to work, uh, which I, th- I think is something powerful uh, to notice uh, for investors. The other- let me let me let me add something to that. that I think it's important to note too. If you look at the kinds of uh, investments that Nucor makes, it's not just buying more volume in a certain category. It's the company has identified where the demand is going to be. So, for example, the U.S. energy industry has exploded over the past half decade, and there are a lot of steel that's consumed by that industry. And Nucor's done a really good job of building out capacity for the things that the steel industry wants to consume in terms of steel, and also geographically putting it, putting that capacity close to the industry. So, the the, the Kentucky Steel Mill is a good example. It's going to be producing a plate that it's going to have access to the logistics to get it to where the end demand is. And that's a cost advantage. You know, transportation of steel is expensive. So, it's not just that they buy, it's what and where they buy and where they build. It's really impressive. Sure. The other acquisitions that they've been making, obviously, the, 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 this new plant is a greenfield acquisition. But over the past couple of years, you mentioned they've been making some acquisitions. They've been moving further down the value chain, buying more value-added steel products. So over the past three years, the company has invested over $3 billion in building out its tubular products division, acquired four or five different businesses uh, uh, so they could uh, vertically integrate. A lot of those businesses. I, I know my girlfriend worked for one of the companies that was acquired. They bring these company bring these companies in. Really are able to change the culture, bring costs down, integrate them into the into the greater part of the Nucor ecosystem. And a lot of these acquisitions too were using Nucor steel as their input. So obviously, you know, when Nucor acquires these, the cost of that steel goes straight to the margin uh, uh, for for Nucor there. So uh, really, really some exciting moves that they've made to position the company uh, going forward. Now, Jason, let's talk a little bit about the dividend. Uh, you know, Nucor, I believe, is a, is a dividend aristocrat. Has been paying out dividends consistently since I believe the 1970s, yielding 2.8 percent today. You know, when you look at that dividend, uh, how attractive is Nucor to you if you're a dividend growth investor? You know, looking for a reliable company that's going to continue paying out year over year. So I, it's, I think it's interesting. It's we're, I think Nucor is pushing 55 years of consecutive. Uh, growth of its regular dividend. And there's a caveat I want to put in here. If you actually go back to the global financial crisis timeframe and you look at a chart showing the dividends paid, you'll actually see Nucor's dividend dropped. And that's because it was paying a special dividend. And that's something that we'll occasionally do is pay a special dividend that is kind of a you know, oh, here you go. Here's and so there, if you look at the chart, it looks like the dividend dropped at some point. But the regular dividend, what they say they're going to pay every single quarter, has gone up modestly 
every year for like 54, 55 years at this point. Now, I will say this. If you're looking for a stock that's going to grow its dividend pretty, pretty sharply, it's not, they, they don't, it, they're pretty modest increases, but it's definitely enough to keep you ahead of inflation. So I think there's definitely some real value there. But the thing is, is when it comes to the steel industry, if you want exposure to, for example, the infrastructure we're talking about, and that's, you know, not, that's not just in the U.S., there's going to be a big global demand for steel for infrastructure. So I think over the next decade, a lot of that excess capacity is just going to get soaked up by demand in other parts of the world. That's healthy for Nucor in the U.S. for that to happen. But again, you have the energy industry with big demand, uh, the auto business, a lot of domestic uh, production has been added over the past decade. Nucor has shifted volumes to, 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 to produce the steel for the applications in, in that area as well. So I think that dividend, again, it's going to be locked in. It's going to be safe. Um, but I, I wouldn't count on it for like super hyper growth. Uh, I just want to think, I think that's really important. Sure. Yeah. Just last thing, you know, on the safety of the dividend over the past three years, they've averaged about 28% of their operating cash flow to be paid out. Obviously, that, that means they've got lots of extra cash, pretty pretty well-covered dividends, so something to watch out for. Let's talk about that third leg of Nucor's capital allocation stool, and that is opportunistically repurchasing shares uh, when their cash position is strong relative to their growth opportunities. What does that mean? That means when the cash on hand, they can get a better rate of return buying their own stock versus investing in, in new greenfield uh, developments. And in, in the past year, Nucor rolled out a new $2 billion repurchase program in September, and they repurchased $854 million of stock in 2018 uh, at an average price of $60.19. It's trading today at $57.50. Jason, as you look at these repurchases, you know, this, the stock is down from where they bought it. However, you know, it, it is exciting to see the business repurchasing there. What, what are your thoughts as you look at these repurchases, particularly over the past year? So, uh, to, to me, I think the when, when you have somebody like Ferriola who has a clearly good positive or a clearly good track record of capital allocation with acquisitions, with investments in building out new assets, it's, it's hard to question, you know, the stock's down 15% or so over the past year whether or not those are smart moves. I think, I think it's reasonable. I think there was a period of time where the company was transitioning from planning out some greenfield uh, you know, investments and not really identifying any um, acquisition opportunities and capital, you know, taking that excess capital and investing and putting it towards buying back shares has certainly made sense. I, I think they still have a billion dollars or maybe more on their approved. I'm not sure what the total board amount is, but I think they One still have a billion, billion. dollars. One okay, and a half one and a half billion. Yeah. yeah. So they have a pretty substantial amount of money that's sitting out there that's approved to be able to buy back shares. So I think, again, you have a CEO that's proven that he's going to put the money where it's going to be most effective to generate per per share returns. So yeah, I, I, yeah this is, I think generally we can say stock buybacks, CEOs, they kind of suck at it, right? They just, they're not good at it. But when you have somebody good at capital allocation, you know, you give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. And we're going to look at whether uh, these stock repurchases were intelligent, not over you know, the six months since they were put in place, but really over the next five or 10 years. When you look at the, you know, the cycle of the steel industry, it is not a one-year cycle. It is a multi-multi-year cycle. So uh, you know, ex we have to trust that Ferriola has really proven over time that he has a strong track record of capital allocation. I don't think he's magically lost those skills in the past year. So I, I think as we look forward, the, these uh, these repurchases are going are to look more prudent over time. So Jason, we, we've talked about kind of Nucor's capital allocation strategy, how they have some structural advantages 
uh, uh, from the nature of their mills and how they use recycled scrap uh, to build uh, to 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 uh, to make their steel. Their their management has a really strong uh, track record in capital allocation. As you look out, you know, over the next, you know, the next steel cycle, I guess, the next five years or so, you know, if you're an investor who takes a position in Nucor, what should you be really paying attention to uh, with this business looking forward? I think you, I think you want to look at their, their, you know, their, their operating ratio of their, of their mills. You know, how, 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 what is that percentage? Are they still in the 90s? Um, are they consistently in the 90 percentile in terms of keeping their steel mills running? That's a that's a really major major uh, thing to follow because that tells you the health of the industry itself, right? Uh, so I think you want to focus on that. Uh, a couple of things that you can kind of look at uh, are, are to measure, and again, you can't look at it from quarter to quarter, uh, but look at it over a year, two year period. Look at return on invested capital. Uh, look at return on assets. Uh, to see if if Nucor is continuing to deliver the kind of returns that it has historically, and historically this is a company that's returned uh, return on invested capital through the cycle, you know, sixteen to to twenty percent uh, return on invested capital. Which I mean, if you compare that to somebody like uh, U.S. Steel over the past decade has spent a lot of time with negative returns on capital. Uh, so I think that's a really important thing. I think one thing that's important to see. Because of this transition to uh, these greenfield investments, those return numbers are probably going to drop because it's going to spend capital that's going to take two, three, four, five years in some cases to really fully start generating the anticipated cash flows. So that's an important thing to remember. Uh, I think for me, kind of the biggest signal with a company like Nucor, as long as you know you continue to see the high operating rates, you continue to see good above industry average returns. Uh, if 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 the steel industry goes into a down cycle and the stock drops, I think as again as long as the other things continue to look above average, I think that really becomes a buying opportunity because it is a cyclical business and the best time to buy is on the downside of the cycle, and you 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 get the best prices and you get the biggest gains on the upswing. Sure, yeah, and just following up on that, Jason, you know we we've looked over the past year and really the entire steel industry, you know we we mentioned has seen some big bumps uh, from tariffs to their operating cash flow. Really, all their operating metrics have been up. However, you know shares have been flat to down. I think U.S. Steel is down 50%, Nucor is down 15% or so. As you look at that, obviously, the market thinks uh, the steel industry is not going to maintain that growth. Maybe we're about to, to turn over uh, into, this, you know, into the bottom half of the cycle. As you look at the, the, way, things are, the way things are trending from that perspective, is, is Nucor a buy today, or, or is it something where we want to wait for that, that cycle that the market is starting to price in, uh, starting to turn over, to wait for that actually to come into fruition to create a better buying opportunity? What do you think? Yeah, if you go back to March 1st of last year, so the beginning of the tariffs, uh, Nucor stock is down 148 so 15%. It's down 15% since that day. Uh, it, it peaked... Uh, after the tariff uh, announcement, it's down 17% from its high over the past the past year. Everybody else is down 30% to 60%, right? So the, so the market is clearly saying we're concerned about the fact that interest rates have gone up. These companies use a lot of debt that affects their cost. We're concerned about macroeconomic concerns. We're concerned that we could be you know, the 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 yield. What's the the yield curve inversion or whatever. So there's all these signals that say that, you know, recession is imminent. And yeah, you know what? A recession is imminent. It's always imminent. We just don't know if it's going to be next quarter, next year, or five years from now. So with with all of those things kind of baked in, I think if you look at the on a valuation basis, 
you know, we're talking about single digits, price to earnings uh, for, for the projections for 2019's earnings. Uh, so it's, it's certainly cheap uh, if, again, if, if we don't see the collapse of the cycle. Um, and again, I would say if, if you like Nucor, if you like the idea of owning the best steelmaker, uh, this isn't one that you throw all your money at one time and you buy it and then you never buy it again. Now's, a, I think, as good a time as any to buy it. And if we do hit that the cyclical downturn, then you just need to have some, some dry powder so you can take advantage of that weakness and buy more, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to look in the steel industry, I think you look at Nucor and that's it. I, I, don't think, I don't think I could make a case for investing in AK Steel or, or U.S. Steel. Steel Dynamics, you can make an argument they're, they're in that same yeah. mini-mill industry that Nucor is in. However, you know the track record of the management, I think, makes Nucor stand out a little bit. But if you want to be invested in the steel industry, if you want some exposure uh, uh, to this infrastructure push that is going to have to happen sooner or later on a global scale, I think Nucor is the way to go. They really have a strong track record, have the right assets to, to ride throughout the cycle, have a strong balance sheet. Uh, really, really a great business. You can Again, it's one of those, if you buy at the wrong time in the cycle, you might have a bad time, uh, you know, at least in the near term with your investment. But uh, it's one of the few steelmakers you, can you could buy. And if you're going to hold it for the long term, it's going to work well for you, I think. The only, I think the only, ca the only exception to that is if you bought Nucor in like 2008, right? So it was like right at the peak. And it's still actually still down from that point. But think about it. You're, you're talking about buying it right before the worst financial crisis and it's it's almost a century at this point so yeah that's that's i think that's any that's the one exception to that but i think you buy right now and you look back 10 years from now i would be stunned if if investors did not make money there's no doubt about that Awesome. Really exciting company. I think all our listeners should add that to their watch list and really pay attention to it. Even if you don't want to invest, it's a good way to track, like you, like Jason said, the way they allocate their capital. It is it, it is a good signal for folks about where we might be in the cycle, particularly the industrial cycle that, that Nucor uh, you know, operates in. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm going to let you get to your TV, watch some Braves baseball, and, and enjoy opening day. Thanks for joining us and looking forward to having you on again soon. Fulan, go Braves. Awesome. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Steve Borido for his work behind the glass. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fulan. <laughs>